0: Welcome to the Disaster Tough podcast, where we talk about emergency management by emergency managers. We share stories, lessons, and tips to help keep you moving forward. I am John Scardina, the host. I share my experience as a former federal emergency response official who's responded to some of the most extreme disasters over the past decade. I now lead a private emergency management firm called Doberman Emergency Management that focuses on emergency planning, mitigation and response. As disaster responders, we find and endorse those products that we know will help you out in the field. If you fight wildfires, hurricanes, a pandemic, any disaster in the field, at a hospital or command center, listen up, you're missing out if you do not use L3Harris for your radio comms. They are secure, portable, mobile and scalable, which is great news for us in the field. A truly disaster tough radio system. Check out the XL family of radios by clicking on the show notes or simply go to L3Harris.com. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. Man, I'm so excited for this episode. One of my great friends, Tim Britts on here. He's been uh, 20 years with the Marines, 20 years and 2 months. 4 years local police and then he's been with uh, FEMA for quite some time. In fact, he's the the Ops Chief there for the National IMAT, that's National Incident Management Assistance Team Red. When I was there it's the National IMAT West, so they've they're new and improved and so he's going to be talking about all all things um response and strategic planning and all kinds of stuff he has tons of experience obviously tim welcome to the show
1: hey thanks john uh great to be here today
0: yeah so let's talk. let's just jump in 2020 pretty intense year you've already had some deployments how has just for like our listener state sake how has 2020 impacted like the national response and planning for that national response
1: Well, I think, I think early on we really, uh, got out in front of what, what response is going to look like. I know early in, uh, March, early March, the national team had went into up to headquarters deployed actually to DC to put together a, what does field response look like? How do we, uh, deliver our core capabilities, support the state in their, in their, uh, missions for other disasters? Uh, we kind of isolated from the COVID piece, uh, which is impacting the nation, and said, "Hey, even though we have COVID, we still have to be able to do our job." And so that was a that was a pretty interesting time for the team. They were they were out there uh, and developing those plans for field operation guides for what does our response look like? We knew we just couldn't bring the kitchen sink from an employee standpoint uh, and stand up like in Harvey when you were with us. 5,000 federal employees uh, at a JFO, right? Yeah. Um, we had this virtual component. We had impacts in, in from our, or inputs, I guess would be a better, uh, from other uh, directors within FEMA saying, hey, our personnel can do our stuff virtually now. Um, and I think it's really going to have a big impact even going forward of what our disaster response looks like. So.
0: Yeah. Do you think it will change? Like the for like when I think of like the biggest impacts of COVID. Now this is just from my perspective, and I'm sure you can shine a lot more light into it. But I think of like helping out those uh, survivors and how to like shelter survivors, and like that that has to be totally different. Even like showing up to get all their paperwork done and like the DCAs or whatever they're called, and um, you know to to be in that field do you think we'll eventually go back to the mass sheltering or do you think we've begun this shift where we're going to try to keep people in hotels? Like what do you, what is your thought process there?
1: Well, you know, I it, really anything that I I speak to today is really like, I want to say, it's my thought, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, just based on what I'm seeing. Yeah. Seeing in my experience. Um, my, my initial instinct is, is cost prohibitive, right? Uh, to do the non-congregate sheltering yeah, um, as opposed to congregate sheltering, you know, uh, it, that non-congregate sheltering drives uh, more complexities as far as getting a survivor, you know, who's been impacted into safe and secure housing or their previous housing, you know, cause we can't, we don't make uh, individuals whole again. You know, we, try to stabilize the situation and put them in a good, clean, safe, secure environment. But if you're in a hotel room, that home that you came from, which is livable, may not be as nice as the hotel room that you were previously in, unfortunately. Um, so I, the COVID really was a game changer, you know. Uh, when you start talking about facilities, and uh, I was with the state of California during the Oroville Dam. Right. And, you know, we went flash the bang on, Hey, we've issued evacuation orders to 180,000 uh, people within a, within an area. And now we got to try to provide sheltering for that component. Um, I couldn't even imagine like, you know, un you know, non-congregate sheltering to try to find those spaces for, for folks and the cost, you know? So, COVID makes it necessary um, because of the, the the risk, you know, of spread and the impacts of that. So now it's really not an option. Um, but it it still, still does happen, though.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, like, my worst case scenario... So let me back up, actually, because you, you make some really, really good points. Uh, just talking to Patrick McGinn, who uh, Tim knows, uh, he was on the show a couple times, um, he said they had 160 shelters, or you know, uh, hotels that they used for um, for the people who evacuated for the fires this year. 160 locations to, to try to do feeding, and he t- talked about how you know, basically the mess that was and how hard it was to do that. Cost prohibitive, time. I mean, all the different resources that you need, um, and quite frankly, I'll add to your point when people are in those you know congregate shelters or when they're when they're in those large Red Cross shelters, it makes them want to get out and kind of return to life. Um, so excellent points there. But as like we're we're talking about that that vein of like the game changers, right? Um, you bring up like these points of um, like the strategic planning. Uh, I, I always want to go back to strategic planning with you because you are you are that like you're that that critical piece in ops to take what they're kind of, what I would say those templates, right? Unfortunately, like sometimes planners get uh, caught up in templates and you're out there saying, Hey, like, how do we make this work? And so you have to back kind of up on that strategic level and see like that integration between all these different pieces. And so um, just thinking about from a strategic level, um, you know, you said back in March, you you had to go and you had to be able to do response even during COVID, right? Uh, Tim and I did a training a long time ago, four years ago, where we talked about Seaburn, uh, Seaburny, uh, uh, depending who you mm. talk to. And um, when I think of COVID, sometimes I think of containment rather than um, like, a, you, you, you want to help everybody out. You want to help out every single survivor. But sometimes just keeping it to a single community, I mean, if you're talking about 160,000 people, I mean, you can't, I mean, you can't do that only in hotels. So um, what are some of the strategic concerns that you have uh, based off of your experience in saying, okay, what, what do we have to, how do we integrate with states and how, how do we keep up, ooh, this is a kind of a tangent, but how do we keep up m- morale around responders? They don't want to get COVID, right? But you have to act, Right. Um, how do you keep up that morale? And how do you kind of do that strategic planning? It's two different veins, but
1: right. So I, I think uh, I think the strategic planning piece of this is, I, and I actually wrote this down, like strategic versus tactical, right? Mm. Because this is, uh, you know, we always talk strategic planning, and uh, and ops is by nature a tactical beast and an execution phase of that planning. Uh, so, and, you know, our t- a previous team lead uh, would would emphasize, "Hey, we got to be strategic. We got to be strategic." <laughs> but then I get poked in the eye from the that tactics. tactical didn't happen. <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, so, uh, you fail at ta- if you fail yeah. at tactics, who cares about your strategic? You know, uh, yeah, mission. That's, that's yeah, right. I agree. Yeah, so yeah, I
1: agree. So let, let me just say this, right? I, so I'm a Neanderthal, right? Ops guy if it's poking me or hurting me, I want to make that stop, you know, at all costs. Uh, but in order to do that effectively, doesn't matter if it's COVID or not. Uh, it's the emergency management relationships that you build. Um, and, that, and it goes back to that working with the region for us um, and having the luxury of uh, in 2019, being out in Louisiana and working with the, the, the state goes up uh, for and building relationships during uh, Barry um, and responding out there and, 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 and kind of understanding how they operate and then coming back again this year and kind of working with the same team and, 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 you know, working in cohorts now because of COVID uh, hmm. realizing that I don't go anywhere outside my cohort. Um, I was at so the strange to me. Team, yeah. Right. Everybody else was at the, at the, the, the the LIRO, the, the uh, long-term recovery office, Louisiana long-term recovery office. So I didn't go over there and come back over here and we didn't, you know, you didn't have those, those dynamics, right? And now you're running everything off multiple virtual platforms, uh, to try to communicate. Um, and at times we were uh, exposed as close contacts and we're running ops from,
0: hotel room. That's nuts. And it
1: didn't feel good. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, you talk about, man, I, I remember, so thinking about Harvey, cause you brought up Harvey and we've brought up Harvey in almost every episode. We're on like 33 now or 34. So thanks for continuing that trend. Yeah. But, uh, it's big. Yeah. Yeah. Massive game changer. Let's talk about a game changer event. But like, um, I, I remember I, I was in constant flux. My staff was doing what they had to do. And all day, every day, I was just bouncing around between different people um, with my, my head cut off, just trying to keep you know that that flow going. And uh, I, I remember thinking back then, man, this would be easier. This would be easier if we had a virtual component where I was just able to click on the box, essentially. So for those guys who, who may be for virtual... And for those guys who may be against, can you give us some of those pros and cons? Because obviously it's, it's great, right? Like there's, there's good and bad to it. Cause you know, if I had an issue, uh, I would just run over to you, right? I would just say Hey, like, Hey Tim, like this is what we have to, you know, just look at this map, like physically look at it. Um, and so like there's obviously pros and cons. What do you think?
1: No, no, I, I absolutely believe that. And I think, I think when you take a look at emergency management and you look at the generational differences, right. Mm. Of, of the people that are actually, I mean, you, you've got it all, man. You've got FEMA Corps <laughs> just coming in, right. Yep. All the way up to retired fire chiefs that come back and do this um, as a secondary piece. So you have all different technological comfort levels. Mm. And it, what COVID has done is kind of forced us all into this virtual meeting like we're having right now. It's a millennial uh, dream. <laughs> right. Um, as opposed to, you know, like I said, you know, you thought you could hide at night on Harvey, but I found you because I wanted a map printed <laughs> out and That's I didn't true. want a PDF.
0: That's hilarious. You know,
1: So, uh, and, and I still, and you know, uh, you know, I, I build this whiteboard wall thing everywhere I go mm-hmm. and, and on some scale um, because that's I need to talk, point, and 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 realize uh, time, space, and distance for the terrain that we're operating in, or or the you know the state, mm-hmm. you know, and and being able to understand that. So that component I don't think is ever going to go away. In response, right? The recovery piece, you know, we we're talking about conducting a virtual PDAs and leveraging remote sensing and. And doing all these things to, uh, really understand the impacts of an event. But that actual coordination for life-saving, uh, actions, uh, it, it's take a test, wear a mask, keep your distance, minimize your, you know, your exposure in and amongst different groups. Um, those, those have to happen because it's, it's, I can't have you, uh, not plugged in remotely and need you. Mm-hmm. Um, for some of those decisions that, that we need to make or information that we need to inform decisions, you know. So it, it's, it's, uh, you know, if I could draw the picture, it's heavy engagement in response and kind of tail, tail this down to a more virtual practicality in recovery. You yeah. know, that, that's kind of the, the bite on it.
0: I mean, how many hundreds of emails would would be get in response? Like, you, you can't go through every email. You don't have time. And so you try to find what's most critical or, you know, you try to flag what's, you know. And By the end of a response, I would have like 200 flagged emails that I'd never even read. But if it was really critical, I knew somebody could just come over to me and talk to me. And so, like, there's, I don't know. I, I think for, man, you're talking about a really good point of that coordination um coordination breaks down when you can't meet with somebody face to face um and so i guess like the the real question is if we have another like maybe not pandemic maybe something else maybe that cburn event that we're talking about uh, cbrn uh if we have a an event where we have to do a hundred percent virtual it's unsafe to meet for whatever reason chemical Biological, we can't meet in person. What are some of the after actions for you, where you're like, okay, if I'm going to do this again, or those emergency managers who really haven't been impacted by the pandemic, but it's kind of headed their way, those those local communities, what would you tell them to do for a virtual response?
1: Boy, um, so I think that the virtual response piece of that, if it is, you have to establish. Uh, you know, that uh, operational communications. I mean, that's, that's the first thing, is, is make sure you have the right right tools and platforms. You know, you'll find that not all uh, interagencies can use uh, some of our platforms, so we have to go outside of that, use Adobe, which we may, we don't normally use. Mm. Uh, you know, use those platforms that can be inclusive to, to everybody that's uh, taking part in the response. I think that having an established battle rhythm, right? So those individuals know that they need to be at a certain place at a certain time. Uh, that way, you don't have those miscommunication missed op- missed opportunities where you need to, to really work to understand the situation. Uh, but you, get, you just got to prioritize and realize that you know you can really can only take one bite out of the elephant at a time. Mm, and like having very cl- having very clear guidance and you know our whole premise is built on management by objectives so have 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 good objectives that that align to the priorities and and the and the uh ucg intent and then you gotta you just have to execute at all costs and be creative and and you can't accept you can't accept it as a i mean the survivor is survivor-centric right so you, you can't accept that, hey, it's virtual, it's a hassle, we can't get it done. That, that's not one of your options, right? Mm. It's anything but that. So um, I like that. Keep your space small and good objectives and, and really identify those uh, lines of effort and execute. You know, that's really, really a thing. It, and then I just want to back up real quick about the emails, right?
0: Yeah. And,
1: and it's funny that. An email sent is not action complete.
0: Ooh, right? I like that. It, it, that's a phrase. That's right? that's like that's a Tim Britt. That's a Tim Britt phrase right there. So, yeah.
1: That's that's a Tony Robinson. Let's, oh. say Tony <laughs> let's, let's we'll give Tony Robinson yeah. 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 So, but yeah, that's that's it sticks in my head, right? Because too many times we hit send and think it's done. Right. It, yeah. We can't do that. You know. So.
0: No, that's good. The um, you're talking about battle rhythm. Battle rhythm doesn't happen. Like it doesn't just happen. You have to like really train for that and you have to know what your objectives are. I think of ICS, ICS really comes into play of management when you're at a large scale event. You could whether you have to do virtual components, because there always is some level of virtual. You have people across the field that you have to connect with, but then you have like your immediate staff and your your management. And so I would say like if you're if you're in the field and you're trying to figure out what you, you know what we're talking about here, um managing by objective, battle rhythms, those kind of things, like really implement like strong five to seven, your five to seven like must have people. And if everybody does that down the line, then you can feed up information very quickly. But if I have, you know, I had thirty people, I had thirty people at Harvey because we're going to be talking about Harvey, thirty people at Harvey, and then I had, like, I don't know, 150 GISers, uh, you know, at headquarters and uh, for different agencies and all these other people that are, you know, across the field, plus the state, state of Texas, obviously, and those counties. And so it just becomes a cluster. But Mike Womet from the state, great friend of mine, trying to get him on the show. So I'm calling his name out right now. He listens. Mike Womet, you know, my immediate staff and uh, the people on the IMAT were like, if anybody sends me any kind of communication from them, I look at that immediately. I don't have time to like put that off. So, like you, you had to train for that. Um, you're talking about coordination. You're talking about um, like follow up. I, I think that's what you're kind of getting to, right? With e- an email is not an action complete, so you have to follow up and make sure it's it's done right. Um, one of the things that really impressed me on the IMAT with you was. Um, your ability to keep and maintain tempo. And what I mean by that is like with FEMA core, with these 18-year-olds, all the way up to experienced emergency managers, everybody has the, kind of their own flow and experience level. And they don't really have... S- some people are very... Um, how do I say this? Are, have the ability to be well-trained and um, have those good guidelines for themselves. Other people are still learning that process, but you were able to, w- to be able to keep and maintain that tempo for yourself and for others. In fact, <laughs> if you remember, we were doing a training exercise at one of the FEMA core members. Do you remember this? Uh, he was taking forever to come outside and we were just like, what is going on? And you gave them this, <laughs> the, the power lecture of like you, if we leave at nine, we leave at nine. 0, 900. Like we're out the door. And you gave him this lecture and that kid was never late again. So, how do you keep like how do you keep and maintain that temple for yourself, and how do you instill that into your staff? Like, how do you have, um, you know, great relations there?
1: Well, I think uh, one is it's uh, very clear. Like the the schedule is posted, it's articulated, uh, it's rehearsed. In some cases, mm-hmm. you know, I've got three standing invites on an Outlook calendar on Monday that is is set for um, establishing the battle rhythm in response. Mm. Whenever we hit the ground, I just send these out with a few key updates that tells everybody uh, where we're supposed to be, when we're supposed to be there, and what information we should have while we're there. And, and it just sets that battle rhythm like right from the beginning. Um, part of this kind of goes back to just my past um, it, as being a Marine, um, being late, not an option, anywhere at any time and and then also um kind of the flip coin to being a marine is being a marine recruiter okay um and that's where uh you have to relate to all you have to take marine corps leadership and discipline and apply it to an 18 year old right it just it doesn't work so you got to understand how you have to engage individuals and motivate them to get to where uh, you're on the same, uh, schedule, rhythm, tempo, um, that you're on. Um, plus I'm high energy, right? You, you, you know, you, you've never seen me, uh, sit somewhere and tell other people to do something, right? Like I'm normally doing it and I'm asking people to help me do this, which is a team oriented or, or team outcome that I'm trying to get. Uh, and if you're not doing it, I'll tell you. Um, because I, I come from the position of, I'm doing this, and there's really no argument um, based on the fact from the perspective of we're hired to do a job, expected to do a job, we trained to do a job, and that's you know, top to bottom. You know We have to
0: execute. I was hoping you'd get to that. I was hoping you'd get to the fact that uh, you lead by example. Uh, it is very hard for me to follow an individual who, who isn't working. I mean, I I was in the planning section, so I had Rodney and everybody knows that I have great respect for him, but I also have great respect for you. And you both share the same attribute is I never thought at any point I was working harder than either of you. And that I I always wanted to work as hard as my leaders, but I never thought I could get ahead of working harder or, um, you know, even when we were in the office, we'd have those downtimes. And I kind of want to get to this a little bit later but we would have these downtimes. and I don't think I ever saw you just like goofing off or being an idiot. Like every time I came over to you, you were looking up a, a, some new plan, you're following up with people, you're creating those relationships. I mean, what you just said is like you were hired to do a job, and that's that's it. Like that is like truth with a capital T. like just do it. And I think when you lead with that, like this is coming to the advice to, to emergency managers who are listening. If you want people to follow you, probably the fastest way to be able to get them to trust your word is to do it yourself. And um, I just want to say that, like, I have great respect for you because of that, and it's one of the reasons why I wanted to work with you so much because I knew that you were never going to fall behind. Like, I was always going to have to try to keep up with you. So, anyways.
1: So no, thanks. Yeah, no, thanks. But you know, I I like to have a good time. Uh, oh yeah op section is, you know, op section is good. I, you know, we, we're pretty, uh, and we've had this discussion about, uh, even when we were in, in uh, well, Vegas on training together was, Hey, you're not really that bad. You know, <laughs> and I did the hierarchy, of, the hierarchy of the team, right? Like, Hey, if it's, you know, if it's just ops I don't like you, you're in planning, but mm-hmm. if it's, if it's the team against somebody, then yeah, you're on the team, man. We're part of i uh, I'm at West at the time. And, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go to bat for you any day, right? So, yeah. um, yeah, it's important, man. That, so. that team relationship and, uh, you know, getting everybody collectively together, gung ho, working together for a common cause, you know, mm-hmm. type, uh, attitude. But you can't do it, man, if you're just sitting there, uh, not engaged, not involved, uh, and just kind of directing, uh, directing and not really doing.
0: Yeah. Uh I will say that like I I've worked a lot with different personality types and what my 100% is might be different than somebody else's 100%. But I think you can always tell when somebody's doing their best and when they're not. And I think you can tell when somebody's engaged when they're not and and when they're not. And so I think like the same thing applies to working with subordinates. Of how to get them up to working at their at their best, um, that's so funny you brought up Vegas because, yeah, that's when I was like, oh man, I like this guy. I was like, Tim Britt's a cool dude. Uh, you'd only been on the team <laughs> how long had you been on the team by that point? Six months or a year? No, 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 it was less than that because you joined us right around Harvey, right?
1: Just right before Harvey, yeah.
0: Yeah, and those
1: might be eight, seven months.
0: Yeah, so it it that's only like been a little February. bit. And planning and ops totally different, and responses, totally different. But I remember going out there, and then, um, uh, you know, work hard, play hard, right? We went to that uh, that night's game, the hockey game. That was so much fun. Um, but it's like, how do? You, so this is a this is a good question. But I remember walking out of the um, the stadium and looking up at the different hotels and. Uh, the, the active shooter had just happened. Um, there had been 50 people killed by an active shooter um, who was shooting out of a window. And so my brain like never turns off. All of a sudden I started thinking of like all the different scenarios, you know, but like seriously, like from a, from a guy who's kind of seen the whole gambit from military experience to tactical level police, re- you know, police response to Cal OES state and now federal, you've kind of seen the whole gambit. How do you make sure that you're able to manage your own, I would say emotions? Uh, how do you deal with that, that mental health piece of those experiences you've had to deal with?
1: Well, you know, the, the mental health piece is one it's survivor centric, right? So it's not necessarily about myself. I am, I consider myself very fortunate, you know, I'm a high school graduate, right? Had some call. I got to check that block. that says some college. I don't even (laughs) know what that means, right? Like, uh, (laughs) <laughs> you That's know, so, um, yeah and uh, so i checked that block and uh even during this pandemic i consider myself very fortunate um i'm employed uh we're working we're trying you know we're trying to help humanity our fellow people here citizens uh and you know i, I and when you start thinking about just your position right um it goes back to a, a vehicle roll motor vehicle accident and uh I'm out doing traffic, and I got out of the, the car. Uh, it's like two in the morning. I didn't have my coat. Uh, parked and, and I, you know, I ran up, and next thing you know, I'm now I'm standing out there, right? About I don't know, it's like twenty-five degrees out, you know. And this thing starts creeping into my head, right? Like, man, this is I'm miserable. And then you look, and you see like there's a motor vehicle rolled over. Mm-hmm. People ejected. It's like, yeah, I'm not bad, right? I'm in a good place. Wow. I like <laughs> it, you know, we're in a good we're in a good place. You know, as emergency managers, uh, sometimes I feel uh, we can we get uh, chicken little syndrome. You know, uh, where it's an it's a crisis of emergency in the EOC when in reality that's not the crisis or the emergency, right? And I just try to keep everybody on point. Uh, and probably one of the best things to come out of 2017 and 18 was lifeline, uh, lifeline root cause analysis, right? The what, so what now, what, uh, with what type of analogies. And if you come run and tell me that there's a, uh, a levees broke, okay. Or areas are flooding. Um, I, that that's easy to get excited about, but when you ask, okay, so what? Well, it's going into an orchard in Fresno County. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't care. Okay, thank you. That that's, that that tells me a lot, right? Um, about it, and just trying not to get in the in the disaster, and that's where it's really hard um, for a team like us. I think when we go into uh, a state, right, and you have emergency managers, right? That their home is under eight feet of water. Mm. Their families are in shelters or being sheltered, you know, and just connecting with them that, Hey, we're a support element. We're not taking over. Uh, We're going to provide some experience. Some, Hey, what about this questioning uh, type stuff? And then make sure that we, uh, use our advanced element or advanced planning type uh, thinking to say, hey, this is emerging, could be emerging, and then making sure that the state has that capability uh, organic through mutual aid or from the federal government to, to, to close that gap. Um, and, and then do that with that mental, you know, uh, that empathy, I guess, um, and, and professionalism, uh, to, uh, to assist, you know, really, really, uh, federally support that, uh, state managed and locally executed effort.
0: I think, oh man, you bring up so many good points. Um, just trying to hit on them lightly, but you, you brought up gratitude, uh, essentially, right. Um, Thanksgiving was just a couple of weeks ago. And, um, You know, you you think about that. I I was actually doing some research because I did it for a podcast episode talking about the pilgrims and what they went through. uh, interestingly enough. But like from an intellectual standpoint, gratitude, uh, it it doesn't uh, erode your sense of like what's going on. It actually heightens your situational awareness that they found. It also found to get better sleep. You you have better, you know, better, better social interactions. And so just like even from an intellectual standpoint, like gratitude is a great way to really pump the brakes and just be like, okay, like what's really going on here? Um, I remember going home from a disaster and like, yeah, like I got home, everything was fine. I went on a hike with my wife and I was like, man, this is like totally different. And I, I've talked a uh, a few times on the podcast about um, one time when I was in a hurricane, I remembered I was actually in the hurricane and, you know, my thought process went back to 2011 Japan when I was watching the news of the tsunami and I was eating a bowl of cereal on my couch. Like just because it's a disaster somewhere doesn't mean it's a disaster for everybody. And to know your role in that of like, yeah, when you go out to meet with those county emergency managers and their house is underwater, if you go in there with like, hey, like I'm the top dog, like dude, just like, you're dead to me, you know? But if you go in and be like, hey, I'm here to help you. I'm here to... you know, provide that relief system. And I, I love the word support because when I think of like urban search and rescue and literally shoring up the building so that we can save people, um, I love that thought process. And then to your last point, um, you know, you're, you're talking about this idea of um, um, like really helping out and be able to understand and to put it in good context. Um, you're talking about the national teams I've talked about the national teams a lot on here, but I've never really gone into in depth about that role between the state and the federal and even the county. So just for like the sake of everybody listening in, the national teams are very different from the rest of FEMA. It's kind of the odd duck in FEMA, to be honest. And um, there's a reason for that. It's the But if you could you just like describe for us real quick, like what you believe as the ops chief, your role is besides just support a little more in depth of what you think you're supposed to do when you get out there?
1: Yeah, sure. No, so, and I think uh, one, I said, emergency management is built on relationships, right? There are effect—let me say this—our effectiveness mm. uh, to go out, integrate, and provide support is built on relationships, I like that. Um, yeah. So, uh, just let's use, use Laura as an example, and Jeremy Schaefer is the ops section chief for the Region Six IMAP. Well, we, you know, over the pre-hurricane season, uh, we do our kind of our uh, plan reviews. We work together, we talk, and we communicate, but we work together in Barry. So that meant, that meant a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So we show up out there. Um, and just to amplify the point, we are, as a national team, in my opinion, uh, we are a force multiplier. We have subject matter experts in response. And, that doesn't mean I have to lead uh the operations section. Uh we went out for Laura, I was the deputy ops section chief and we um you know, I was the good idea fairy, you know. Yeah. I established my battle rhythm. I, I take you know, I take off all those uh kind of uh role, those roles or those requirements from Jeremy and let him do the Louisiana state interface. That he's got relationships there. Uh, he understands them. He, you know, uh, and then I would handle kind of the nuances of response, uh, the, the emergency services branch director requirements, the infrastructure, the mass care, and, and just get that information flow so we can fully understand the situation that's uh, being presented to us. Mm-hmm. So much that when we went back for Delta, because we went, we did Laura stabilize. Went home for about a week, and then went back to Delta. That's nuts. We literally stirred up a assistant ops section chief for response. Hmm. And under my response, I essentially had I met red. I had mass care, emergency services, critical infrastructure in a, in our own little uh, architecture, operational architecture, uh, along with then they had programs from Laura and they had field operations from Laura, right? So we had this organization that literally popped out. I wasn't even the deputy op section chief for the incident, right, but for Laura. I was just, I had this little operation, response operation cell, And we did our thing for Delta, stabilized. Fortunately, it wasn't as bad as they were predicting. And uh, we just folded that up. Very little impact to the ongoing current operations for Laura. It just kind of both seamlessly came up and went away. Um, Mm. so that that was great. I mean, that was, uh, that, that was a, a important piece. So what's the takeaway? Uh, the national team has a a, a great capabilities, response capabilities, subject matter experts. We sit around all day and do what is and, and prepare for, uh, that scenario, that catastrophic scenario. And then we do outreach. Uh, currently regions eight, nine and 10 fall within us. We're synced up, uh, with our counterparts, uh, with the region, region response directors, uh, working exercises, tabletops. I'll be on a tabletop this afternoon with region nine, uh, mm. for, uh, distribution commodities out to uh, insular areas of region nine, you know. So, um, so we're engaged with the regions, building relationships, uh, and let me go back to Harvey. We showed up to Harvey. I, I wound up on night and I watched, uh, the Cole Brickers and Jeremy Schaeffers lay out a map through the architecture from a geographic standpoint and start talking about this freeway, uh, that freeway in California. We say the, the five, the, you know, the 80, uh, but they, but they were talking, you know, the terrain. And, and me being a national guy coming from our region into their area, I had no idea where those resources were time, space, distance of, of, of activity. And for, to say national teams here, I'm ta- you know, I'm in charge, mm-hmm. we're, you know, that doesn't make no sense to me at all. Um, if they hand me the reins, right. If they do it, Oh yeah, I'll do it. Right. You know? Yep. Um, but I don't think it's as effective. Um <laughs> You know, so that's kind of the relationship. Uh the region really owns the state relationship. Unless, you know, we we go to Louisiana three times and I know Mel. So anyway. <laughs> that's uh, cool.
0: Yeah, the that, that's, well, where we're at. that's funny that you mentioned that the state or the region owns those relationships because I felt, especially in region four, I felt that my role a hundred percent was relationships. I was there to. Uh, my very first question to the my state rep every single time was, "What do you need, and how can I do it?" Like it was that question. Okay, what do you need? How do I do it? Like I would just every time, and I think that built up a lot of trust because they would tell me it. I would say, "Okay, how do I how do I get that done?" And then I would actually do it, and um, I started coordinating between the state and the region, and I just felt that I felt like that was where I I was most successful in providing that relief or that support for both systems, um, making sure that people got what they needed to be able to do their job. Um, there's always enough work to go around. And so if you, if you go into a disaster thinking like, how do I be a relief to somebody else? Um, I, that, will, that will get the job done. Um, being a relief, b- putting in that work, putting in that effort. It's one of the reasons why I've brought this up before. It's one of the reasons why I like Cam Starrett so much because as a FEMA Corps member, as a kid he really stood out to me because he would go in there and be like, how could I help? And he'd actually do it. Um, that followup. Um, so for our very last section, it's going to be like two, a two minute thing. We always do it at the, at the very end here. We call it rapid fire. I'm going to ask you like just two or three uh, quick questions. Um, but before I do, Tim, just like, thank you so much for coming onto the show. You're the man. Clearly sure. you're the man. Uh, <laughs> dude, I, I like you so much. Um, obviously, people are going to want to come uh, have you come back on the show. And if you liked what Tim was saying, you know, please reach out to us and uh, let us know and see if you have follow-up questions for him. We'll have him come back on. But for Tim, for our, for a rapid fire, I'm going to ask you three questions, okay? Uh, out of all the disasters you've been to, uh, whether it's FEMA, state, whatever, what is the most impactful event uh, in your career so far?
1: Yeah, I would say... Michael uh, Hurricane Michael, hmm. um, and I say impactful to me. Yeah, uh, that's, that's exactly where, it, yeah yeah it, yeah. So I think my my I was in uh, South Carolina. Uh, Michael popped up in the Gulf, as we know. Like one day it's a two, next thing you know, it's basically a five hmm. hurricane impacting the Panhandle. I jumped in the car, drove to Atlanta, the Region Four. um, kind of a self-supporter bait per team lead direction showed up there. They said, just go to the panhandle. Uh, and I drove down, uh, this is the first really big thing since as an section chief, uh, since Harvey, um, or as a branch director. But so now I'm driving down. I literally hit a wire hanging down. Um, was, as an impact from the storm bounces off my windshield. And I'm like, Oh wait, now this is real. Like this is,
0: you're in it. This is real.
1: Jeez. I'm in it, right? Uh, I felt like I was going to be the guy who showed up like, hey, I need water. I need food. <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, because and, and all the power was out and uh, I, so I get down there and working with Mike Smith, who's kind of a, a legacy legend of operations uh, and can organize and execute operations like really nobody I've seen. Um, it was his way. Um, but he says, okay, you're my geographic ops branch director. And I wound up with, you know, three branches, uh, 12 divisions, no branch directors, Jeez. uh, for the first five days, you talked about emails. I was getting over 900 emails a day. Oh my God. Uh, way.
0: no, no, thank you. Yeah.
1: I, you know, staying in a, uh, and, uh, Airbnb with no power, uh, in oh Tallahassee, you know, so, uh, but just that three weeks of intensity, of of bring, trying to bring together that component, that slice of the operation, really opened my eyes. When I looked up, you know, I looked up and looked down, and right? I looked up and and saw everything that Mike was doing. It's like, okay, that's, this is a type, you know, one incident with that's you know. That's what an section chief is doing, you know, Uh, and really brought me back to focus on my own preparedness and training. So Michael's it um, from a professional standpoint.
0: Yeah, that's nuts. Um, Thank you for sharing that. All right. Wow. That's nuts. I want to ask you more about that, but we'll we'll have you back on the show uh, to talk about it. All right. (laughs) Uh, Question number two, for the future emergency manager or the emergency management role in the future, what is one thing that you think we need to change or improve in order to be better?
1: I think uh, I think it goes both through my state and uh, and through my federal experiences. Is if you ask for information um, from a subordinate elements, you, you owe them. Uh, you're obligated to do something with it, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll break our backs to get information to to satisfy requests for information. And I always wonder, like, now that I ha- now that you have that, what are you doing, mm-hmm. right? Or did mm-hmm. you just want to know? And that goes back to a lot of what I, I do as far as uh, plus subordinates, right? Uh, empower them uh, and uh, you know, be methodical, you know, be deliberate in your actions, but give them the power to make decisions. Um, and I just would like to, you know, we all talk and joke about the screwdriver driver is to try to change and do things at the incident level mm-hmm. um, and trying to eliminate that out of emergency management. You know, uh, yeah, because it gets built up at every level whatever level that I find myself building the screwdriver to fix problems down in the incident when I've got personnel down there you know this, that's another story I mean, continuous improvement right <laughs> we get better every year before we you know when maybe that thing we're doing right now is good enough
0: mm-hmm.
1: right but we, we don't never get proficient with what we're doing because we have improved on it and created a new process so we're, now we're getting we're learning that and not getting you know not getting proficient then it changes again. So, yeah, uh, I would try to like to eliminate some of that. Gives stability to our profession.
0: So. Uh, yeah, perfection. So, man, I man, I got to get you back on the show. I shouldn't have asked you with this at the end because <laughs> you just described my do- two biggest problems doing GIS. You know, I did operations and planning before joining FEMA, and joining FEMA and, and becoming more of that analytical guy. My biggest problem was when somebody came up and said, "I would, I, I have a request for a nice to know," and I'm like, "I'm in freaking response right now, and you want to know how close your hotel is to the freaking tornado track that happened in Georgia?" I had a FEMA person come up to me random; I didn't even know who they were, and they said, "Hey, I just want to like tell everybody back home like how close my hotel is to the tornado." I'm like, "You're 200 miles away, like or you know, 100 miles away from that tornado." Like, that is not something I need to spend my time on. And I felt like I got requests like that all the time. And it helped out so much when yourself or Scott Schaefer or... Because um, Scott Schaefer was really good at the. Um, a, a couple other people would take my map and literally start drawing on it. Or they'd be like, I don't want a PDF. You said that earlier. I don't want a PDF. I want to look at this map. Yeah. And I could actually see people using it. And I was like, that is why I want to do this. Now, I technically wasn't the subordinate, but talking about that support system, it's easier to want to be a support when the people are using using that. And when people ask for the nice to know, like you're cutting that off. So that is a huge lesson learned. Um, Man, I want to talk about the other thing, but man, thank you so much for saying that. All right. So very last question, Tim. Tim the man, the legend, Superman himself. What is the number one emergency management podcast? Disaster tough. There you go. Disaster tough. Thank you so much, Tim, <laughs> for coming on. Hey, everybody, if you liked what Tim had to say, which I'm sure you did, I loved what he had to say. If you liked liked it, please give us that five star rating and subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram. We're going to have a couple clips of Tim on there with some more information. So you can follow us on there. That's the Disaster Tough Podcast on Instagram. If you want to work with Doberman Emergency Management, you want to do some planning, some training, some mitigation, you can reach out to us at info at dobermanemg.com. Again, that's info at dobermanemg.com.